Ezekiel saw the wheel. A federal judge in New Orleans decreed that Monday, November 14 in 1960, would be the day that African-American children would need to go to white schools. And that ruling meant that Ruby Bridges, a six-year-old first grader, would be the only black student at the William France Elementary School. That day, federal marshals arrived and drove her and her mother the five blocks from their home to go to the school with two federal marshals walking in front of her and two walking behind to protect them as they arrived at the school and faced a very, very angry white mob. Later in succeeding days, her mother was not able to join her and therefore Ruby Bridges needed to face the mob alone by herself. Her mother reminded Ruby, though, that she could be praying and that she could be calling upon God to help her as she faced that situation. And Ruby certainly connected with her teacher, her teacher, Mrs. Henry, who had a Boston accent. And Ruby writes that Mrs. Henry always watched from her classroom window, watched Ruby as she faced the mob of angry white persons. And one morning, when she got to the classroom, Mrs. Henry said that she had been surprised to see that Ruby was talking to the group of people who had gathered. And she said, I saw your lips moving, but I couldn't make out what you were saying to those people. I wasn't talking to them, I told her. I was praying for them. Usually I prayed in the car on the way to school, but that day I had forgotten to pray in the car. So I was praying as I faced the crowd. And what she prayed was, please be with me, O God. And I'd ask God for those people for God to be with those people too. Forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Ruby, you are truly someone special, Mrs. Henry whispered, giving me an even bigger hug than usual. And she had this smile on her face like, the mother, like her mother would get when she'd done something special that made her mom proud. Now, Robert Coles was a child psychologist or a child psychiatrist from Harvard who was interested in how Ruby was able to face that difficult situation with fortitude and peace. And she, he decided, after he met with Ruby and after he had contact with her mother, that he concluded that it was the scripture stories that Ruby had heard at home and at church that helped her to be able to face that very difficult situation in her life. That she was able to face the tenseness and the difficulty in, in that experience 
to face that with a deep sense of peace and fortitude. And also grace, so much grace that she was able to pray for the people who were advocating against her. James Longacre says, and I quote, the biblical story provides a story, a language, images and symbols that are sufficiently deep and broad, sufficiently coherent, sufficiently strong, that if we learn them, if we absorb them, we can face life with confidence and hope, end of quote. So this morning, as we continue this sermon series on the wild and wonderful visions of God, as we continue this series, we want to discover how that these, this series will help us to face our situations. Now, we'll look in this series at visions from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Jeff introduced the series with the vision that Isaiah had as Isaiah was called to to minister from Isaiah chapter 6, his vision in the temple that Isaiah had of God. And after a break next Sunday, when Val and Apollinaire will be sharing the sermon, they will be preaching, we'll continue this series that will continue through August, Sunday, August the 17th. So, our vision that we look at today comes from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel. And let me just say a couple of words or a couple things relating to the context and also the person and the book of Ezekiel. Now, when Ezekiel was 30 years old, he was taken into exile in 597 BC along with other refugees, along with other persons from the nation of Judah taken far away to the land of Babylon. Now Judah, the nation that he was from, the lower part of Israel, the southern part of Israel, Judah was trying to survive in the midst of three empires, the Assyrian, the Egyptian, and the Babylonians. And finally, the Babylonians came out on top, were victorious, And then they conquered Judah and carried the people into captivity. And taken to Babylon into what is now modern-day Iraq. Of course, we've heard a lot about Iraq over the last decade or more. And Ezekiel's first visions took place in the nation of Babylon in 593 B.C., and continued approximately 20 years to 571 B.C. Now keep in mind that while these people, while the refugees were in Babylon, in, like I said, modern-day Iraq, far away from Jerusalem, about 500 miles or so, that the Babylonians destroyed the temple back in Jerusalem. And these exiles remained in Babylon then for a generation until 
they were allowed to go back home. Ezekiel 1.3 tells us, The Lord gave this message to Ezekiel, son of Buzah, a priest besides the, beside the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians, and he felt the hand of the Lord take hold of him. Now Ezekiel, as a priest, a priest works in the temple, serves in the temple, and of course Babylon had no temple for God, so Ezekiel was not able to practice to do his priestly work far away from home. So God called him to serve as a prophet. And Ezekiel was a contemporary of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was also born into a priestly family. Now the book of Ezekiel, and I, this is on your sermon notes there in your bulletin, can be divided into three sections. The first section is prophecies against Judah, goes up to the 24th chapter, and then prophecies against the nations, chapters 25 to 32, and then the last part is a bit more hopeful, prophecies of Judah's reconstruction, where they can look forward to the time that Judah will be reborn and reconstructed, restoring the temple and so forth, chapters 33 to 48. So, Ezekiel is there among the refugees, and he's along the river Kibar, which is really a canal in southern Iraq. And it was along that canal that the refugees had built synagogues and places for worship. Now, they were not very happy about being there. And in the Psalms, in Psalm 137, verses 1 to 4, the psalmist expresses their feelings, their disappointment, and needing to, to worship and to sing songs of Zion in a strange and foreign land, in a pagan land. Here the psalmist, as the psalmist says, Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem, We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of the poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But they said, but how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? And according to Ezekiel 3.15. Ezekiel sat there among the exiles, among the refugees, stunned for seven days. In other words, Ezekiel, the priest, now called to be a prophet, was ready to offer empathy, ready to offer sympathy with the exiles who were so far away from home. And notice that he offered empathy before he offered preaching and criticism. Now, why was he stunned? He was appalled by the conditions of the people. He was appalled by the rebellion against Yahweh, against God. He was appalled by the fact that God's people did not follow the ways of God. And so Ezekiel chapter 2 
states, Stand up, son of man, said the voice. I want to speak with you. And the spirit came into me as he spoke, and he set me on my feet. I listened carefully to his words. Son of man, he said, I am sending you to the nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been rebelling against me to this very day. They are a stubborn and hard-hearted people. But I'm sending you to say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or refuse to listen, for remember, they are rebels, at least they will know that they have had a prophet among them. So, like the prophet Isaiah that Jeff led you in last Sunday, Ezekiel was in the presence of God, was in worship. Ezekiel was at worship in this foreign and this pagan land. And the vision, as we understand it from here in Ezekiel chapter 1, the vision was prompted by a summer windstorm that came from the north, which was a usual occurrence in Iraq. And in this case, God was in the windstorm. And this was in contrast, of course, to where Elijah was at Mount Horeb and God was not in the storm. God was in the still, small voice. At this time, we'll have the scripture reading and Anna will read that scripture from Ezekiel 1, 4 to 28. It's also beyond the screen. If any of you choose to follow in the Pew Bible, it's found on page 820 and 21. This is Ezekiel 1, verses 4 to 28. I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human heads. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side each had the face of a lion, and on the left side the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spreading out upward, each wing touching that of the creature on either side and each had two other wings 
covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved. And when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked something like a vault, something like crystal and awesome. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out one toward the other, and each had two wings covering his body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. And there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Okay, thank you very much, Anna. And now we'll hear the scripture again uh, using the technology of YouTube to uh, show what an artist uh, 
uh, has uh, uh, rendered as to what uh, Ezekiel's vision was and how it's described here when he says it was like this and like that, all the different faces and so forth. So uh, this was from YouTube for this scripture. stood still, the wheels also stood still, and when the creatures moved, 
so did they also through the spirits of the living creatures within the wheels. The sound of the creatures flying was like the sound of roaring waters, and the sound of the wheels like the sound of a loud grumble. The wheels rotated in any one of the four directions, whichever the creatures faced, yet they didn't turn as they went. They were called the Whirling Wheels. After I saw these things, I fell face down. I went among the exiles near the Kibar River, and there I sat for seven days, astonished and overwhelmed. We saw the four living creatures having the faces of a human, an ox, an eagle, and a lion. And James Longacre suggests that these represent creation, the highest of creation. The lion, the king of the wild beasts, the ox, the strongest of the domesticated animals, the eagle who rules the air, and of course the human, the highest of creation. And each of the creatures could face all directions at once and could move straight ahead without turning. Notice also the wheel, the wheel within the wheel, we're in the air. The chariot of God has wheels. God was not stuck back in Jerusalem. God was with them here in Babylon. The Jewish people were disheartened they were downcast. They were hopeless because they were far away from the temple, far away from the presence of God. And they were asking, how could God allow the destruction of the temple? The rim of the wheel was filled with eyes. And perhaps as a symbol of the eyes of the Lord, the writer of 2 Chronicles says in 2 Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are committed to him. The cosmic, this cosmic war throne was able to move in all directions, was controlled by the living creatures, and there was instant maneuverability. They did not need to start the engine they didn't need to wait for this war throne to go one direction or another. Instant maneuverability. The throne chariot appeared to the prophet while he was in Babylon. God was not only in Judah. God was not only back home in Jerusalem, but God was on the throne and his throne was on wheels and could move in all directions. And then the last part of the chapter, the Lord is enthroned on the dome of the universe, and in verse 24 suggests power that our Yahweh God is a warrior. 124 says, When they moved, I heard the sound of their wings, 
like the sound of the like the sound of mighty warriors like the thunder of the almighty a sound of tumult like the sound of an army and when they stopped they let down their wings and in verse 28 Ezekiel then at the end of the chapter finally gets to the point and he says this is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me he spends all this time the whole chapter and then he finally summarizes it and he says this is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me unusual vision is it not a wild and a wonderful vision of God and the throne room of God and God's throne on a war chariot now what can we learn from this vision well the first thing we can learn is that we worship a god who is full of glory splendor power and might that our god is on the move that our god is not left somewhere behind somewhere in another place in another location or how we domesticated god to just a little bit larger than another human being and as we come here sunday after sunday to worship do we expect to see a glorious wonderful and a powerful god are we prepared to meet that powerful god how do we as mennonites view god do we see god at work in the midst of all the pressing problems around the world do we experience this powerful and wonderful god at work burton yost says and i quote i may be wrong but i have the feeling that mennonites have quite a domesticated familiar and small understanding of god sitting in church before a sunday worship service and hearing people chattering about family and community matters there is little sense of awesome expectation and almost no awareness of mystery almost no awareness of majesty the almighty seems about as familiar as the neighbors and friends who sit around us in church and the quote now i know that we as mennonites value community and value relationship but it seems to me that we need to prepare our hearts for worship and attempt to get to the sanctuary as soon as possible for a time of quietness and a time of meditation as we have the opportunity to lead into worship to prepare our hearts in reverence to meet the, and reflect on the, that we will be meeting an awesome and a powerful god who is full of glory and grace and power and majesty the phrase you shall know the lord you shall know that i am the lord is found a number of times in this book and ezekiel emphasized that god was present with them god was present in all his glory and the power in the war chariot 
by the river Kibar. Ezekiel also assured his readers of the abiding presence of God who was among them. The abiding presence of God who was among them. He was preaching, as I indicated earlier, he was preaching to a hopeless. He was preaching to a people who felt so helpless because they were far away from their land, the land that God had promised them, and they were far away from the location where they were called to worship in the temple. And they needed to be aware that God was at work in the affairs of the nations. We serve an almighty God who is big enough to help us solve our global problems, our problems such as famine and war and stockpiling of nuclear weapons and global warming. And as we face the challenges of our lives, we can face them with confidence because we know, we know that we know that God is with us, that God abides with us. And that's one of the points that Ezekiel was making as a result of this vision from God. In each of our lives, God did not stay back at an earlier time, an earlier place, an earlier situation in our lives. But God is with us. And as we face the loss of a loved one, and as we face the struggles of time pressure, and as we face the challenges of parenting teenagers and launching them into into the adult world, and as we face difficulties of finding a job or finding a place to live, as we face whatever the difficulties may be, we know that God is with us, that God is with us in the struggle. Yes, Ezekiel saw the wheel. In this wild and wonderful vision of God, Ezekiel saw that God was present and that God was on the move. That God, he'd experienced the presence of God and needed to carry that, that message of hope, that message of anticipation, that God is still at work. That God is not standing still, but God is on the move. And not only on the move, but, did you catch it? It's on, God is on the move in all the directions, all directions. Now, let this scripture story from Ezekiel give us confidence and strength to face the situations that we face. And as we take this story with us, may it give to us like the scripture did for Ruby Bridges, may it give for us the fortitude, the courage, and the stamina to face the difficult situations in our lives, both now and in the future. Amen. May it be so. We'll share in a closing song.